mentioned uh, earlier is our condolences going out to the Arnott family on the passing of Marilyn's mother this past week. And so our condolences go out to them and our prayers uh, are, are with them uh, in this time of, of loss. And so let's remember them in our prayers. I would invite you to bow with me once more as we prepare to enter God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you that you multiply it the the bread of life for our souls and that as we just saw in this video lord the reminder that you multiplied the physical bread but how much more the spiritual bread which nourish, nourishes our souls and as we as we eat it as we feed upon it you add your blessing and so we thank you for this lord we pray that you would once again bless your word uh, within us as we hear it today Lord, we do also want to remember uh, the Arnott family in this moment, and we, we lift them up to you in prayer, Lord, and we pray that you would comfort them in this time of grief and parting, but also to bless them, Lord, with, with peace, knowing that, that Marilyn's mother is with you through faith, and so we thank you for that great hope that they can celebrate as well. So be with them, Lord, we pray. And so, Father, we thank you once more for this opportunity to enter your word. Speak through me, your servant. May the words be yours, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we have been doing all morning, we are giving thanks to the Lord. Today, of course, is the holiday by that name that we set aside once a year to do this, to be thankful. However, we, uh, as we do so, and I think Jamie already mentioned this, we want to be characterized as thankful people, not just once a year on one day that we set aside for it. We want to be characterized as thankful and grateful people every day of the year, the other 364 days as well. Now, in saying that, I have one confession to make. And that confession is that I have struggled this year with being thankful every single day. Has anyone else struggled with being thankful every single day of 2020? I'm not the only one? Okay. <laughs> I was afraid that I was going to be the only one and everyone else was going to say they hadn't struggled with this at all. In fact, I would say that this entire year of 2020 has been one that has tested us in ways that we've never been tested before. And I think one of those areas specifically has tested our gratefulness to the Lord, our thankfulness to him. Because there's no sugarcoating the fact that this year of 2020 has just been hard. It's been hard in many different ways. Now, I'll be dating myself a little bit with this, but there's an internet meme based on one of my favorite childhood movies growing up from 1985. Does anyone remember the year 1985? <laughs> The year 1985, the big hit blockbuster was Back to the Future. And in this movie, uh, there's, there's a, you know, a crazy scientist, Doc Brown, and he, and he figures out how to do time travel, and he does it all, of course, through his DeLorean car in which they can travel through time. And so in this meme that I'll show you in just a moment, there's a hypothetical conversation taking place between Doc Brown and Marty McFly, and it goes like this. Listen carefully, Marty, whatever you do, don't set it to 2020. 
when I saw that, I laughed because, well, I liked the movie, of course. And it was funny to think of back in 1985, Doc Brown going ahead to 2020, coming back to 85 and being like, don't go there, don't do it. And I just can't help but feel like that just about sums up this year perfectly. Because this is definitely not a year that I think any one of us would want to revisit or replay ever again, even if we had that cool DeLorean parked in our garage. And as I already said, this year has been hard. And personally, for myself, one of the hardest parts of this year, one of the most challenging was that two and a half months where we as a church family were not able to physically gather together like this to worship our Lord and to have fellowship with each other. And that was hard. I think it was hard on, on all of us. We missed each other and that face-to-face -face that God has created us for, that, that community connection. That was probably one of the most challenging seasons for me this year. And so how about you? What has been the hardest, most challenging thing about this year for you? Now, you don't have to answer out loud, but I'm just going to give you a moment to think about that. What's been the most challenging thing about this year for you? Or I'll rephrase it another way. What has been the thing that has been most, uh, or the hardest thing to give thanks in spite of? What has been the thing this year that has caused you to struggle with giving thanks every day as God would want us to? I think all of us would have similar answers because of the nature of, of what we've been going through. The arrival of COVID, and we've all been you know, dealing with this in different ways and, and dealing with the spread of the virus, and we know it's not over yet. And there's all these things that it's affecting in, in ways that we could never have thought of ahead of time because no one has ever lived through something like this in our lifetimes. And yet, despite the many challenges and despite the variety of the different challenges, I think all of us would say that there's been hard things we've dealt with personally this year. And so we've had to learn to deal with things and face things in a way we've never had to deal with or face before. And so now the big question that I want to frame this sermon around this morning is in the face of all of these many hardships and challenges of this year 2020, can I still be thankful for the year 2020? Even if we never would come back to revisit it again, can we still be thankful for this year that God has given us? Well, thankfully, God's word has a lot to say on this subject of thankfulness. And so I invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, and our scripture reading from this morning, beginning in verse 15 of Ephesians chapter 5. And here we see the Apostle Paul, he gives believers a set of instructions, a template, if you will, of how to live the Christian life in such a way that if we follow through on this template as he lays it out for us, the end result of it is a life of thankfulness to God. Not just in everything, that we can be thankful in spite of hard things, but we'll see that Paul builds the case that we can learn to become people that are thankful even for everything, not just in everything, for everything, even and including the year 2020. So let's dive into our text. Verse 15, Paul writes, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. 
And so here we see the first step of Paul's template to developing the thankful life is this. Pay attention. Pay attention. I'm paraphrasing that from his be very careful. He's saying, in other words, pay attention to how you live. Now, these first three words of this verse, be very careful. How many times do you suppose your mom or your dad told you that when you were growing up? Be very careful. How many times do you think you heard that? For myself, if I had to try to quantify how many times my mom told me to be careful with something, it would be, I'm sure, in the thousands, if not tens of thousands. I don't know. All I know is that the words run like water off a duck's back when you're a teenager, right? You hear your parents say, be careful, be very careful, watch out, and it says, yeah, 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 right? That's just how we are as children. But we hear those words all the time, and now the ironic thing for me is I'm a dad, and I hear those words coming out of my mouth to my kids. And yet somehow I expect them to be different than I was. Yes, they're going to heed dad because I'm telling them to be very careful. If only I would have listened to my mom, it would have saved me a lot of pain in life. But for all the good that phrase, be very careful, did for me, Paul is using it here in the same way. As, as a spiritual father to this church in Ephesus, those many of whom he has directly led to the Lord, he's viewing them as his spiritual children. And as a father who wants only the best for his children, he's saying to them, kids, listen up, be very careful then how you live. Be very careful. He's doing it out of love and desire for them to be safe. And so he is doing this as a father with this, this in his heart. And he's saying to them that there is a right way and a wise way to proceed in life. But in contrast, there is a wrong way and a foolish way to proceed in life. In this, the, the wisdom versus foolish, he's drawing on a lot of the writings from the Psalms. And we see this a lot in, in Proverbs, the contrast between a life of wisdom and a life of foolishness, the, the, the wise and the fool. And so he's drawing off of this in his contrast in this verse and in this passage. He's saying, all right, choose the right path, not the wrong path. An example of this is driving a vehicle. How many of you have discovered that your vehicle doesn't automatically stay on the road by itself? Has anyone discovered this? Your vehicle does not stay on the road by itself. Okay, now I just heard that Tesla has a vehicle that apparently will do this and that apparently someone was literally asleep behind the wheel of their Tesla driving down the highway by itself, and surprise, surprise, he got pulled over and got a ticket. Now, you could say, well, what was that guy doing? His car was doing it for him. He didn't need to pay attention. But in the eyes of the law, that wasn't good enough. He needed to be paying attention. And even if you have some fancy automated car that drives for you, the law still requires you to pay attention. And I don't think anyone has a self-driving Tesla in this church, that at least not that I'm aware of, unless someone's been hiding it out along with your DeLorean uh, in your garage somewhere. But whatever the case is, we need to pay attention when we're behind the wheel, because if we're not paying attention, bad things tend to happen. It's why we have distracted driving laws in place to discourage people from doing this while they're driving, right? Because none of us have ever done that before, right? None of us. And we've never seen anyone else do that before. But yet, when we're looking at these screens and we're not looking at the road, we're distracted. And if something happens that requires our attention, there's a delayed reaction. 
And so we need to pay attention. And so in the same way, Paul is saying in life, as we're driving through life down this road, if you want to avoid a crash, don't become distracted by all of the many things, all of the distractions that don't really matter. We need to pay close attention, he says, to how you live. And this leads down to the second point of Paul's template to develop the thankful life. So first, pay attention to how you live. The second is make the most of every opportunity. Verse 16, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Now, the New American Standard Version of this verse puts it a little bit different. It says, making the most of your time. Making the most of your time or making the most of every opportunity. Now, there are three Greek words used throughout the New Testament to refer to time. The first one is hora, which is where we derive our English word hour from. So it's spelled H-O-R-A, and we've derived H-O-U-R, hour, from the Greek word hora. So this is referring to time in the sense of one hour of it. The second Greek word for time used in the New Testament is chronos. And chronos refers to measured time. So you'll sometimes see that on a watch when it's like the stopwatch. It's talking about chronos, about how to measure time. However, the Greek word that is being used here for time is the word kairos. Kairos, spelled K-A-I-R-O-S, kairos. And this use of the Greek word kairos for time is referring to an appointed time or a fixed occasion. So it's not an abstract event, it's a specific event. It's an appointed time or a fixed occasion. Kairos. In Matthew chapter 2, concerning the birth of Jesus, I'll give you an example of Kairos, a fixed occasion, the appointed time. There in the, the Christmas narrative, we see the Magi from the east. They experience just such a moment in their lives. They're stargazing, and a star appears, and they recognize this star from, from the scriptures that they've received from Daniel and from their studying and, and, their, and their wisdom. They put together the pieces that this star is in fact has, has arisen to signify the birth of the new king of the Jews. And so they recognize this as an incredible moment in history. They recognize this as a, as a time and a moment that will never, has never happened before and it will never happen again. This is significant, a moment in time that will stand apart in all of history. And so they realize that in this moment, they have a choice to make. They can see this star and they can say, well, that's cool. You know, we'll, we'll watch it until it disappears and, and that's all we'll do. Or they said, hey, one of them, I'm sure, had the idea first who said, guys, you know what? This is such a big deal. Let's go investigate. Let's go and see what this star is actually signifying with our own eyes because this is a story that we are going to tell to our grandchildren and will be told probably for generations to come. Little did they know just how far the story would travel that they said, you know what? Let's saddle up and let's ride out, no matter how far, it go, how far it is and how long it takes. They weren't going to miss this Kairos moment, a fixed and appointed time. And so, they travel. And of course, they are there to welcome the Messiah, the newborn king, into the world and to present him with gifts and to worship him. And so, Kairos, as Paul used it here, was talking about a same type of divine appointment where God has providentially planned something good for us 
to do or say. It's not just a random thing. God says, I have good works for you planned ahead of time for you to walk in. And so to make the most of every opportunity is that when those opportunities come, that God has put in our path, he's put them on our road, we can look at them and say, well, you know, that opportunity might come around again, or, or I'll get to that type of thing another time, but I'm not going to do it this time. Then we are missing those Kairos moments God has put on our road. Because an example from that same Christmas narrative is that those same magi, they didn't go to Bethlehem first. We know the story. They went to the palace first because that's where kings are typically born. And there Herod gets the, the religious leaders of Israel, the ones who know all about the Messiah, to look into. Where should he be born? And it's they who tell the Magi he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And that's not some distant journey for these, these religious leaders in Jerusalem. Bethlehem is just five, six miles up the road. And yet they couldn't be bothered to join the Magi in their quest to welcome the Messiah of Israel and the world into their own nation. They missed it. It was right in front of them. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they missed it. That divine appointment, that kairos passed them by. And so this is always before us. Every day and every week and every year, there will be those appointed moments in our life that God has put there. And he says, make the most of that opportunity because we don't get a, a replay. We don't have a DeLorean parked in the garage to say, oh, I missed that. I should go back and do it now. Either it's there and we, and we seize the moment or it passes us by. And this is always before us. So Paul says, make the most of every opportunity. It's interesting that Paul adds to this command, because the days are evil. Because the days are evil. Now, if it was true way back then, some 1900 years ago, then it's certainly also true today, isn't it? The fact is that there are different ways that Paul would be using this to say the days are evil. Of course, there is evil in the world since the introduction of sin way back in the Garden of Eden. So in that way, the days have always been evil. It could also be a reference into the fact that the days are short. We don't know how long our life is going to be. And so these opportunities as they come, we don't have an infinite number of these opportunities. They are limited. They are finite in nature because our lives are finite in nature. And we don't know how much time we have. Of course, we also know that there is an evil happening in this world, in the spiritual realm. And the Bible points to this, that there are, that there are forces of evil under, under the authority of Satan that take place all around us in the unseen spiritual realm. And so if we're not paying close attention to how we live, then we too can become distracted and diverted away from seizing those God-given kairos opportunities right in front of us. And oftentimes, we miss opportunities because we have incorrectly identified God's divine appointments as obstacles. Sometimes God puts something in our path that when it comes, we just see it as this is bad, this is an obstacle, this is evil even. But it's often possible, and in fact, often the case that there's something that God has put on our road that we look at as only something to be afraid of or to fear that God has put there actually as an obstacle for us to step into in faith and do something in his power that is actually going to bring about God's glory and good for people around us. Let me give you an example of this. Queen Esther, we all know her story quite well. 
The wicked official Haman has just succeeded in passing a law which authorized the wholesale murder, the genocide of the Jews. This, of course, included Esther, who was, of course, by birth Hadassah, the Jewish orphan girl, who, of course, through her beauty, rises to become the queen of King Xerxes, the king of the Persian Empire. And so here she is, it, it, you could say through, through coincidence, through luck, in the, most, the, the inner circle of the most influential, powerful man on the entire planet at that time. And yet, as it comes to this moment where wicked King Haman hatches his, his plot, he gets Xerxes to sign off on it, it is sealed, the law cannot be reversed, the Jews are going to be wiped out, and Esther faces something that to her appears to be a nightmare. And yet, her cousin Mordecai identifies that this, what appeared to be a nightmare, may in fact be the opportunity of a lifetime. It was her Kairos moment. And as Mordecai said to Esther, famously, we know what he said, and who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. An appointed time. Who knows that he's saying God's hand in what appeared to be perhaps coincidence is yet his hand bringing you to this royal position for this kairos, for this appointed hour that you could be the one to save our entire people from genocide. Incredible. And so in the same way as Esther, who when she first looked at something and she misidentified a divine appointment as something to be feared, an obstacle. She could have used that for an excuse to be paralyzed by that fear and to do nothing. But like Mordecai, God wants us to look deeper than the surface obstacle to see the divine appointment, the opportunity hidden just below the surface. Case in point, this year of 2020, just one example.